Hello and welcome to the Football Ramble. It's Thursday, the 2nd of July. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Vidushna Hunter-Raja. Yes, it's me, Vish, and Andy Brassel here. Now, keen Ramble listeners will notice that Jim isn't here. And I did say yesterday that it was going to be me, Vish, and Jim, but he's not feeling too good today. So in comes super sub, Andy Brassel. You're like the Adama Traore of the Ramble squad. And just as stacked. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you know what? We've been saying in the last kind of couple of weeks since football's come back there is so much football and it's so hard to keep up with it and a lot of the games haven't been that great have they Vish but last night it's a bit nuts wasn't it it was pretty good potentially some significant results at both the top and bottom of the table of course the West Ham win over Chelsea stands out Chelsea then missing the chance to go third because Leicester lost to Everton Bournemouth got thrashed by Newcastle and the fight for survival is looking bleak for both them and Norwich who also got thrashed by Arsenal, and you were at the Emirates Fish, weren't you? I was. Yeah, what was the yeah. performance like? What was it like in the stadium? Um, the stadium. What was it like? Well, um, you've got a great opportunity to make an Arsenal joke I here. Know. Don't waste I it. Was, Vish. I was. I'm fighting against every fibre of my being to make a joke <laughs> about official attendance being sixty thousand, <laughs> about it being a bit more jovial than normal. But um, yeah, it was pretty much much of the same. You know, we talked about how we can hear what people are saying, specifically what managers are, are shouting out to their players and. I think every game that Daniel Farker does, he should be mic'd up and it should go around the stadium because that man's voice is something else. It's kind of like a, it's like Hans Gruber, but with like a with a with a camp <laughs> with a really camp Disney twist. Do you know what I mean? Like he's I don't, I can't, Hans Gruber was quite camp, in fairness. Well, I suppose yeah, but there, there's like a Disney quality to Daniel Farker. And I think I think it's when you look at him because he's got quite. He's got a really big head, but it's quite a welcoming <laughs> head, if that makes sense. A welcoming large head. He, yeah. he looks like he could be a regular panto participant, doesn't he? Yeah, it, you know, it's um, he's he's like one of those kind of uh, Japanese like Mononoke cartoons. He's like, it, look, it looks like a character from that, doesn't he? With his big eyes and like ginormous. I'm ginormous interviewing bumps. him on Saturday before the Norwich Brighton game, and now I'm not going to be able to get that out of my head. Yeah. So thank you, <laughs> thanks for that. As to the football, yeah, I'm um, pretty standard. Um, yeah, Arsenal. Arsenal played pretty well, to be fair. I think it was interesting that their first goal came the same way as their first goal against Southampton, where they were putting pressure on the keeper. And you can tell that Arteta's trying to get them to push up because he keeps shouting it. I think he he shouted, get at them in three different languages yesterday, which is pretty cool. You know, English, Spanish and French. Um, directed at all those, you know, respective players. Andy, and, do you want to do the English, Spanish and ooh, French yeah, for us? Oh, yeah, do it. <laughs> well, I, I think we know Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang would understand all three of them, which I, I think is is quite handy, obviously having been born in France and, and having a Spanish mum. I wanted to ask you about Aubameyang because I, I know um, you heard you were speaking to Arteta about him afterwards, Vish, and uh, it gave kind of quite different answers when he talked about it for telly and then to the newspapers afterwards he sounded ever so jolly and positive in the immediate aftermath of the game like i feel very positive he loves it here his family love love it here and then by the time he spoke to you it was a bit more well i don't deal with contract <laughs> yeah yeah he's um it, it was very smart i think the the thing that you see managers get right more often than not is that when they're on TV they know how much their body language comes across just as much as their words mm. and he was he was very very not necessarily forthright but he, but he knew the message he wanted to purvey and he purveyed that very well and it was basically that you know 
he likes Aubameyang, Aubameyang likes being here, but the decision rests solely in Aubameyang's court because Arteta says that the club have done their bit to, to us, I suppose, get him on for a, um, for a bit longer or keep him rather. And yeah, he said it doesn't necessarily deal with that, which is a little bit like Harry Redknapp, but it sounds a bit sleeker coming from Mikel Arteta, doesn't it? I, th- I think the way I think about Aubameyang and him in terms of his value in the market has definitely changed though, because, um, He's 31, as you're pointing out when we were talking about beforehand, Rich. And really, if you think a player on those kind of wages who's so associated with pace as a forward should be becoming less and less valuable. And also, when we spoke, when he arrived in Arsenal in the first place, it was because no bigger club wanted him, quite frankly, because he always spoke about his dream of going to Real Madrid. That wasn't an option for him. So it's basically Arsenal or China. And he chose Arsenal and that's worked out very well for him. But what I think is interesting is having seen him loads at Saint-Etienne and then at Dortmund and then seeing him arrive in England and seeing the way he evolved into rather than being a wide forward, a a sort of centre forward, who touches the ball really not that much at all. Now he's kind of gone in the same direction as Sergio Aguero has in the last year and a half, two years in that now he's bringing back his all-round game that he used to have. Yeah. Almost as if he's saying, right, okay, if I'm going to go way into my 30s, it can't all be about my pace. And that, if I was a club that wanted to buy him, would make me feel more interested in him. Well, scoring his 50th and 51st goals for Arsenal in just 79 games last night just kind of highlighted Mm. his importance and just how key he can still be in a squad. Um, Now, the other game in London last night was a feisty one, wasn't it? It was a really good match between West Ham and Chelsea. West Ham doing the double over their West London rivals. West Ham now three points clear of the bottom three. It was a crucial result for them. And also could have significant effects at the top of the table as well because Chelsea of course missed the opportunity to go into third place because Leicester lost to Everton it's a bit of a nuts game wasn't it Vish yeah I um I was driving back from the Emirates so I made sure I had it on and with I think I switched it switched on my radio when the just after the goal had been disallowed but then um, West Ham had scored Suze had scored again yeah and I don't think I realized just how crazy that VAR decision was until I saw it on TV and even then I don't don't think it it really even now struck me as having only having read about it this morning was just how long they took over VAR to come to a kind of well you know what some would perceive as an incorrect decision Um, yeah I think it was really impressive actually West Ham have capitulated so many times in that situation just felt a bit sorry for themselves and thought well everything's against us and and thrown it away, but the fact that they came back from from that, and even Chelsea pegging them back with a William free kick, um, yeah, I, I think it's. I wouldn't necessarily say it speaks volume of Moyes, but it certainly speaks volume of the quality of players that they have. Suchek's reaction was brilliant, wasn't it, when he scored his goal that did count? Because he didn't he celebrate. celebrate. He yeah. did this. Are you going to take it off me? <laughs> thing, didn't he? The, but whole... do, do you think? Do you think that was completely out of line that decision? Because there's been a lot of. There's been a lot of pushback against it, hasn't there? And not not just from West Ham fans, from fans all over the place, um, from from a lot of journalists. But to me, it seems to be more focused the criticism on, as Vish said, the delay, the lag time, and also the way it made us feel. I wonder if there'd be such a kickoff about it. Say if it was the same decision, but it had been a Chelsea goal chalked off, and it had only taken a minute to come to the decision. 
would would there be the same thing? Is it an issue with the decision or an issue with the frustration that we felt of something that, oh, this is exciting, it's going to be a shock, doesn't happen? For me, it was the fact that, like you've both pointed out, how long it took, but also the lack of knowing what they were actually looking at. When you're watching it live, it wasn't clear and it wasn't pointed out on TV. Mm. What are they actually looking at? Are they looking at Antonio offside? Are they looking at Suchek offside? What's the issue here? Are they looking at whether he's in the line of the goalkeeper? There was no real explanation. Gary Neville was on COCOMS and he didn't have a clue. He was going, what are they even looking at? I don't know what they're looking at here. And I think that, for football fans watching, is what's so frustrating that you then, there is so much kind of unknown about it And then when the decision is made and they rule out a goal, when it's so kind of dubious, that's what annoys us, I think. So what's the solution? Do do the VAR team need to communicate with the crowd and the television audience? Is is that the solution? I I actually think it is. I think communication is one of the biggest issues with VAR. Um, Mikhail Antonio, at the end of the game... It was only that was the, when he found out. I think it was Jeff Shreves who was at the game yeah. for Sky. That was when he found out why it was ruled out. Mm, he had no idea until Jeff Shreves said, "Well, actually, it was your head that was offside." And he was like, "He, <laughs> he was brilliant, it. by the way." His, yeah, he was brilliant. His he laughter in that interview—it just—it was contagious. Yeah, yeah, he's got a really infectious personality, Mikel Antonio. Um, but yeah, he he kind of laughed and, and thought about it, and then was like, "Well, you know, we won, so what are we going to do?" But I think I think the communication element is key in cricket, where there is a decision review system. As soon as it's sent up to the um, equivalent of the video umpire, then everyone in the ground can hear the conversation between, and at home as well, can hear the conversation between the umpires who are on the field who made the original decision and the TV umpire. It's shown on the big screen as well, which makes a huge difference because even, you know, we had a VR, VAR situation at the Emirates yesterday for a penalty. And the screen is just, as we've seen it before, it's just VAR checking, penalty, no penalty, penalty. Um, and I, I think it would be people are still fans are still going to complain about it if they get a goal chalked off, but at least they know why. And I think we've got to stop treating fans like children and actually, you know, give them some truth because then that way we kind of we can all move and sort out VAR, you know, or, sorry, move in the same direction and sort out VAR together so that we're not feeling it just doesn't feel like it's being done on the hoof. But yeah. doesn't this change the whole feeling? inside the stadium. I mean, one of the things, and it's something that's not, well, until relatively recently, it's not been mentioned in England that much, but the reason that a lot of German fan groups are so strongly against VAR is they feel that it's a dreadful experience for the people inside the stadium. And I I think that's right. But even if you did have that level of communication, that completely affects the whole atmosphere. Mm. It's like kind of like, you know, when you go to a big match or a cup final and at the beginning, there's just this deafening tannoy that just drowns out <laughs> everything. And it's like, no, the supporters are meant to make the atmosphere, mm. not ready to go by Republica <laughs> or, you know, even even something as great as London Calling or something like that. It's, it's meant to be the fans that make the atmosphere. Yeah. Well, in case you didn't see the clarification, um, this is what the PJ, PGMOL clarified on that incident on Suchek's goal being ruled out. They said the on-field decision was to award the goal, but the VAR advised the referee that Antonio was in an offside position and directly in the line of vision of Kepa. So essentially, it's been ruled out because Antonio was blocking Kepa's vision and he was offside. Yeah. Is he blocking his vision though? He was lying down on the floor. Uh, yeah. He was yeah. trying to play the ball though, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean that 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 is the key thing, isn't it? He was he was trying to like scoop the ball from, mm. from under him. But 
but even that explanation, even that if that was articulated fans, as it is in the NFL, actually, the only conversation we hear with the NFL referees is at the end when they've made the decision, ruling on the course um, on the field stands, so and so has got the ball, ten yard penalty, whatever. That even that alone, that seems to help the players. And Tony had no idea yesterday, so I think that's something they they should think about incorporating in the future. Credit though to West Ham, as you already said, Vish, that despite that, despite how frustrating that situation must have been, they thought they were about to take the lead. The goal doesn't stand. You then go that Chelsea got the other end of the pitch. They win a penalty. They score the penalty. Credit to West Ham for not letting their heads drop, considering the situation they're in in the Premier League. Just how important getting a result last night was that they managed to somehow get themselves back into the match. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I think we were talking about this, weren't we, Jules, before with <coughs> reference to other coaches, well, maybe with reference to Eddie Howe, actually, weren't we? Which yeah. we'll, 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 And Steve Bruce, which we'll come on to talk about in a bit. But um, I think it can be quite tempting for the focus to go back to David Moyes and there'll be people out there going, oh, maybe he's not that bad after all. This was a crazy game that I don't think you can necessarily apply logic to. And what won it for West Ham is the fact that, that they do actually have some really good players. To be able to pull Yarmolenko off the bench and, yeah, he's inconsistent. And that that's something that's... Some player though, isn't he? Yeah, dogged him like, through much of his senior career. Like for, in any given moment, he can make it happen. And I think Mikel Antonio-Vish, didn't he, made a nod to it in that post-match interview where he's totally out of breath, by the way. <laughs> he's being asked these questions by Jeff Shreves and he, he felt he wanted to go, give me 30 seconds, I'm just going to get some air into my lungs. But, you know, he was saying with the players we've got, there's no way we should be in this situation. Yeah, yeah. That third goal actually to win it was perhaps the, the best example of, of what, those players as individuals can do together because Antonio never stops running. I think he's the only player you can actively describe accurately as a nuisance. That seems to be <laughs> yeah. his modus operandi. He's like, mm. right, I'm just going to piss people off here. I'm going to do it within the laws. Even the fact that his goal, he went down for a penalty and then ended up getting on the end of you know the, the cross that kind of followed it. Um, it's the rare combination of skillful and awkward isn't he? Yeah, and, and definitely more skewed towards awkward. He's kind of the, he's the type of bloke who'd fall down a set of stairs and land on his feet somehow. Like, How do you do that? And he would have no idea. But he, um, but yeah, that goal was perfect because he, he held up the ball really well, chested it back to Four Niles, got it back from Four Niles and played a pass that I didn't know he had in him, to be fair, because it was decent ball mm. to pick out Yamalenko. I don't know what Antonio Rudy was doing. It's like he's, I reckon if I stood out there with Yamalenko, Go I on, think, Bish. You know, I think this lad's you got an effort him. from what I've seen. <laughs> he may, he'll still get past me, but I at least seem to make the effort to put him on his right foot. But yeah, if you're going to get Arjen Robbins, you want to get Arjen Robbins by Arjen Robbins. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, spot on. Well, it was an incredible finish to the match and the momentum this could give West Ham now in terms of their hopes for survival and looking at their next four matches, they look winnable as well. Away at Newcastle, home to Burnley, away at Norwich and then at home to Watford. They finished the season against Manchester United and Aston Villa, but... You never know how important that result just could be. Um, let's move on and talk about another one of the matches, a team that are down there really struggling. Bournemouth losing 4-1 to Newcastle. We were chatting to producer Charlie, weren't we, just beforehand, and he's a Newcastle fan, and he said it's actually weird talking about how good Newcastle are going forward at the moment, but they were brilliant again. They were, but I mean, that level of resistance. I mean, you know, people saying about, um, there was Ashley Cole, wasn't it? Saying about no one wants to jump in on Alan San Maximal because they'll, they'll, they'll become a meme. But 
I mean, still, what for that second goal, the Longstaff goal, he's got three defenders in front of him. He didn't have to turn on the afterburners. He sort of almost did a light jig around them rather than a proper dribble. It, it was, was great it was to watch, so, It was so, so easy, though, didn't you think? I, I just, I love that. I love the idea that St. Maximum's quality is kind of underpinned by a fan base that makes memes of the people he destroys. <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there are two, two of the most powerful groups on the internet right now are St. Maximum fans and K-pop fans <laughs> yeah. in terms of how they're able to influence things. I, I did, it's funny though, like, I, maybe I'm just thinking about what it was like in the playground, but no one wants to be nutmeg, do they? Never. And players are so no. online now that I wonder if it's part of their thinking. They kind of, I mean... I feel like that's doing a detriment to their professionalism, but I did find that fascinating. And on the meme subject, Bournemouth are basically that yellow dog with a bowler hat who's sitting in the room <laughs> drinking a cup of tea while it's on fire, <laughs> saying everything's fine. But, but yeah, Andy, as you, as you were saying, Bournemouth just made it far too easy for them. It's, it's you know, they've been a shambles for a while now, and they're just destined to go down, especially when you look at their run in there. They're really up against it. If they do somehow merge unscathed from the bottom three, then it'll be genuinely be one of the great turnarounds, what especially you, with so little time to go. What do you think it is? Is it a lack of ideas from Eddie Howe? Is it a lack of kind of putting fight into them? What what's what's the situation? What's the problem with Bournemouth? Because I I actually thought looking at some of the teams before coming back into football, I was looking at Bournemouth and thinking They've been fortunate that they have, have they've had the break in a sense because it's allowed David Brooks to get fit again, and we yes. know just what a, a, a talent he is. Obviously, the Ryan Fraser situation hasn't helped things at Bournemouth, and I think that could be maybe something that's affecting the dressing room. Um, but I actually looked at them and thought, when you look at the teams fighting for survival, you're always looking at the teams that can score goals, and you're thinking they're the ones that have a chance. When you look at Bournemouth's front line, I know Callum Wilson wasn't available for the game against Newcastle because he's suspended. But you look at Callum Wilson and Josh King, David Brooks put him into that, Harry Wilson on set pieces, and you think, actually, they've probably got goals in them, but yeah. for some reason it's just not happened. Yeah, and it's, it's a weird thing because I think it seems to have gone wrong since Eddie Howe's tried to make them defend properly. Because <laughs> every time I've seen them, I, I said this on here a couple of weeks back, every time they've tried to defend properly, they look like they can't do the other half of the game at all. And I, I think that's a, a real issue for them. Um, but, you know, we, we were talking about the, the, the fact that maybe public opinion and Bournemouth public opinion, most importantly, is, is turning against Eddie Howe. Have they just left it too late? I mean, if they, if they fired him now, I mean... Get, get who you like. I saw it's, a... it's, it's not, you could get literally any coach. It's not going to make any difference. As Vish says, that, that running is hellish. Yes, you, you can look is. at that and you could, you could like really without much effort make a case that they wouldn't get another point for the rest of the season. I saw a couple of calls on uh, Twitter for Harry Redknapp to come in and save them. And also... Well, he lives down there, doesn't he? Sam, yeah, Sam Allardyce as well. Surely not. Well, I mean, they're just going to get into that desperate shame cycle that all teams do down there <laughs> where they just end up hiring them from the same three. I wonder with Eddie Howe if it's just a quite natural stagnation of listening to the same message over and over again and suddenly... And it just being watered down through every you know, every season really, because what, he's been there since 2012. He's been pretty comfortable in terms of, they they used to play really attra attractive attacking football and that's how they get the majority of their points at home. And as Andy says, yeah, defending just isn't for them. And 
they they face a quandary that all teams face, even a team that spent as much time in the league as Bournemouth, where they think, right, if we actually want to stay here, we need to evolve. And if that's not going to come through spending money, which they have, and they've spent it badly, then it's for trying to make ourselves more robust from the back. Because ultimately, if you don't concede goals, you're going to be in a better position. Um, and they just haven't been able to do that. And I wonder, actually, if that is a blind spot in Eddie Howe's coaching philosophy. Because, you know, if you look at some managers who come through the ranks and come through the leagues... A lot of the time they do that by, by playing attacking football. And it's only when they get to a level like the Premier League where they have to start thinking about defending. And we've seen that with quite a few promoted teams recently, actually. And if, you know, Aston Villa, swing to mind, Fulham last year, a great example of that. Um, and I wonder if it's something that he himself might fancy just going away on his own without the pressures of managing a club, you know, part ways with Bournemouth and, and maybe, you know, I suppose... Educate himself sounds like I'm being a bit flippant there, but do you know what I mean? Just kind of, I suppose, I do. accrue that kind of knowledge. I think it's, it's where managers get good, isn't it? Where coaches get good when they go and look at other clubs, look at clubs in other countries uh, and just expand their mind. And of course, the fact is that when he walks away, or, or if he walks away from Bournemouth at some point, I don't think people are going to do the usual thing where you know you think the last impression lasts in football and people are going to say that he's the guy who took Bournemouth down I think people after six months a year whatever they'll look back and say actually he was the guy who kept Bournemouth in the Premier League for for what, what, whatever yeah. uh, however long a time and you know what it's like if you're a head coach and you sit out for four months, six months, eight months or whatever, your legend sort of augments when, you know, you're the the chairman or supporter of a struggling team and you think, oh God, oh man, shit. He'd be amazing. He'd change it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's yeah. he? What's happened to him? Yeah. Yep. You've got to remember as well, Eddie Howe is only 42. So he could legitimately take a couple of years out of the game to do what he wants to do. Maybe mm. take a gap year. I bet he hasn't taken a gap year. <laughs> never, never so, taken a gap year in his a, whole life. Do a bit of interrailing, mate, when the train's open after, <laughs> um, and come Go back. backpacking, uh, mate. Um, what about Newcastle, though? Four goals scored last night. We, I know we've talked about Bournemouth making it easy for them to do that, but uh, Jamie Evo 10 tweeted us at Football Ramble on Twitter saying 4-0, Pete must be furious. This is obviously before Bournemouth <laughs> scored their consolation goal. Um, yeah, spare a thought for Pete Donaldson today. He's probably absolutely fuming at home. Um, but one of the things we've been kind of paying attention to since the restart is how players celebrate their goals without fans in the stadium. Uh, last night, a couple of fun ones. Dwight Gale did a cupped ear celebration to an empty stadium. Uh, Lazaro shushed the crowd as well, even though there was clearly no one there. Uh, Isaac Hayden missed an outrageously bad open goal. So Newcastle's still a bit mental, aren't they? That that was after Lazaro absolutely clattered the bar. Mm. Yeah. That was very satisfying. There was one of my favourite empty stand celebrations. I think it came in League One or League Two. It was when a a player ran over to the stands, jumped to the fence and then sat in one of the chairs and started applauding. No, <laughs> which is genius. I didn't see yeah, that. More That's of that. brilliant. Awesome. Well, look, we're going to be previewing the games in the Premier League tonight and seeing just what that loss against West Ham last night for Chelsea means in terms of the European places because Tottenham face Sheffield United later. It's Man City against the champions Liverpool as well. And we're going to be delving into Europe as well. You're listening to the Football Ramble on Thursday with me, Jules Breach. Vish is here with me, as is Andy. Uh, let's start off, before we get on to tonight's Premier League games, the football never ends. Uh, let's talk about last night in Europe, Andy. There was one game that stood out. Inter 6, Brescia nil. 
Yes, Manchester United B6, Brescia <laughs> nil. And... Um, yeah, I really wanted to bring up this with Vish, actually, because um, it, it was an eye-catching performance from Inter against, well, it's kind of going back to Bournemouth, really. Brescia are absolutely doomed. They've had it. And um, Inter had a, a super time with them, especially after taking the lead early on. Alexis Cross, back post, brilliant volley from Ashley Young. Uh, Ashley Young set up another one later. Victor Moses had a great game. Christian Eriksen got a goal. It really was a, a, a Premier League fest. Uh, Alexis scored from the penalty spot as, as, as well after Victor Moses was fouled, um, going back to the, 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 the second goal. It really is interesting, Vish, to see these guys who were just deadwood uh, at Manchester United and of, of course we haven't even talked about Romelu Lukaku he had a qu- quite a quiet night in, in, in the end and they didn't really Six need him goals, to be his they best. didn't need him none of them were his no no, no. Wow. Yeah, he had the shot that was I think it was him who had the shot that was safe for Ericsson to, to tap in at the second attempt he'll take that as an assist uh, yeah he, he's, 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 <laughs> he's he certainly counts, he counts in FPL doesn't it it, it does in FPL assist, yeah, yeah. Really? It does. Andy, you're learning. I'm getting, I am yeah, going to train am. you for I, FPL I, I, for next week. I'm getting oh, coaching. Don't do, don't do FPL. It is, it's the worst thing. It's the best thing. No, because it, it, makes you, <laughs> it makes you care about things you don't really care about. And then it makes you sad like about a, things you never really care like about. Like a Crystal Palace clean sheet. <laughs> you're no like, one, yes! Yeah. Come on! Think of how hard the world is now. No one needs extra sadness in their life. <laughs> well, the other night, it was the only thing that cheered me up about Manchester United beating us is because I had Fernandes in my team. So I was like, ah, oh, to be fair, I got Listen, two goals. It makes I know, people it's terrible, wishing isn't it? ill on her own team. No, I didn't wish ill, she but did. but no, I didn't. She but did. it was a, it was a <laughs> tiny little kind of like silver lining on that cloud. I was like, do you know what? We may have lost to Man United, but I got 15 points from Bruno Fernandez. It, it, it was funny actually because um, obviously we're we're in this socially distanced world at the moment. When I'm doing co-commentary on Bundesliga matches, I'm in a separate booth to both the presenter and the main commentator. And before I was doing the Werder Bremen Köln game on Saturday, I could hear the two of them discussing, obviously quite loudly because you're in separate booths, their Bundesliga fantasy teams. Uh, I, I, I felt I felt pretty Were you a bit left, left out, out. Yeah. See, don't do it to yourself. Get involved next year. We'll have a Ramble League. I'll win. I was going to say, that's why you set it no, up. No, no, not it? at all. I'm actually really not that good. I just love it and I'm obsessed with it. But it's it's good fun. The, like Jules, you say, you're a pusher. <laughs> I'm trying to sell it to you. I did used to work on a shopping channel. Can you see what I'm doing? Um, the thing is, though, is it, it does actually give you an appreciation for the games that you kind of wouldn't normally be interested in. Because it, And I quite like that because sometimes on a Sunday you think, oh, I want to watch football today, but my team aren't playing. But then if there's a team that are playing that you wouldn't normally have any interest in, say it's Burnley Crystal Palace, not going to be the best game, but... I had Nick Pope in goal. So I've I've, got a clean sheet. I'm buzzing. I don't think that's to do with fantasy league at all. I think it's to do with how early you wake up in the, in the morning. I did my, (laughs) I I woke up at quarter to five this morning and I did my morning workout to a replay of Tamboff versus Zenit in the Russian, in the Russian Premier League. The Russian Premier League. So it just, it it totally depends on what time you wake up. But Vish, I wanted to ask you (laughs) about these Manchester United players. Um, I mean, it's it's quite tempting. When we were talking about Moyes there, when people have been talking about Steve Bruce, and there's been quite a strong push recently to say, oh, what an incredible job he's he's done. And, you know, he has done a good job in the circumstances. It doesn't persuade me that he would be the man to lead Newcastle United forward if they had loads of money to buy players, et cetera, et cetera. There's also been 
a bit of a reappraisal of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer recently because of Manchester United's turn up in form. I mean, some of us would say it's to do with one particular midfielder who they might have bought in the in, in the transfer window. I mean, it always said something about United and what was going so badly for them in the first part of the season. The fact that Lukaku and to a lesser extent Alexis because he's had injuries uh, and especially Ashley Young, how valuable they've been for a big club that's chasing trophies. What, what, do, you, what do you make of that as a Manchester United fan? Well, it's weird because the Manchester United clearly established a, um, a sewage pipe that ran straight to Sunderland. <laughs> um, and that was quite effective for a while until until they got relegated. I, I think it's... If Alexis had accepted that, he could have been a, a Netflix superstar, yeah, couldn't imagine, he? <laughs> imagine that. Banging out to some Ibiza hits at the Stadium of Light. <laughs> the, um, the, the fascinating thing about those United players is that they really speak of the kind of not just muddled thinking, but also the turnover in managers. They're all very, very different players that are bought for very different reasons. Yeah. So Alec Ferguson bought Ashley Young as a wide man to kind of get us, I suppose, not better at crossing, but just try and we had to play a different way when, um, you know, when Ronaldo was off. And so that kind of, that seemed the most effective way of doing it, bringing in Ashley Young, who was a pretty reliable eight out of 10 winger. Turned and then you know through, through through kind of Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho became a fullback and, and you know a similar path that Antonio Valencia had as well. So on on his particular situation, I th- I think it's really interesting because he he's clearly a very effective fullback and and maybe I'm thinking about it because it's into Italian football, but the Italian football seem to really love these these fullbacks who can play on both left and right. And also a mm. pretty good crosses as well, because that tends to be where most of your width comes from in Serie A. Um, I mean, that's the thing, actually. When he was playing against Brescia last night, he's playing as a, a, a left wing back. And I, I do think the hard yards under Van Howe, misery as it must have been. Louis as... Van Gaal's army! <laughs> Always time for that. Yeah. Always time. I think, it's, I think it's actually worked out for him, though, because honestly, he looked like prime Watford or Villa Ashley Young. I, admittedly, it was against Brescia, and like I said, they're, they're not great. Um, but it's interesting because going into next season, they'll be playing a back three again, I'm sure. They've all already signed Ashraf Hakimi. He's been incredible for Dortmund, the right side. So you could have Hakimi on one side and Young on the other, which is quite the mix, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing about, uh, the other thing I was going to say about, you know, some, even having Sanchez and Lukaku there usually those players end up at different clubs because you know there's more value in having Lukaku mm. Sanchez is on his way out and Young's obviously you know as old as he is so the fact that they're all at the same club doing quite well is yeah it's, it's really peculiar it's, it's like I don't really know what it's like it's like they had a coupon <laughs> and they thought well you know if actually if you get him you can get Ashley Young for free as oh, well I, I, I might as well actually and then like, Alexis Sanchez was there with the chocolate buttons at the till. No, <laughs> fuck it, you know, you get in here as well. I, I can't give you cash change. I can give you more vouchers. <laughs> I love me a good voucher. All right, let's move on to tonight's matches in the Premier League then. A couple of good ones. We're going to save Man City against Liverpool uh, for last, but let's talk Spurs, Sheffield United first because both of these teams have a game in hand, of course. This is their, um, Spurs' third match since the restart and the winner of this game, if there is one, can actually go into seventh. Now, because of Chelsea losing last night and because of Leicester losing last night, this kind of race for the top four now, because I think when we started football back a few a couple of weeks ago, it was more kind of a who's going to get fifth. And I think most people were thinking Leicester and Chelsea had it nailed to finish in the top four. Now it looks completely open from third, almost down to potentially 10th for a European spot. And 
the way things are, because we still don't know the result of Manchester City and whether or not they'll be able to play in the Champions League next year, it means that European places could go down as low as eighth. This is quite exciting. So I think it puts quite a lot onto this match between Spurs and Sheffield United, Andy. It, it does to an extent, but the way that Wolves have got results since we've come back just makes me think they're just waiting for their moment to maul everyone. You know, you look how efficient they've been as well and how high performing their best players are. You think they can pick teams off without actually playing that well, Wolves? I think that's a huge advantage for 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 them. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I want to see a little bit more from, from Sheffield United, a bit like Leicester. I, I don't want to see their season peter out. And in terms of, if you're looking at it as totally from a neutral perspective rather than say a Spurs fans perspective, a Sheffield United win here would be great. That would really shake it up because I think everyone is kind of half expecting them to, to fade away now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Certainly I am. Yeah. It's almost like they they really needed that momentum to carry over and the break just hasn't helped them at all, as you mentioned mm. with, with Leicester as well. I'm quite excited because I think, judging from what Jose Mourinho has been saying mm-hmm. in the last couple of days, I reckon we'll see Tango and Dombele tonight. Yes. And I'm very excited about that because it would be such a shame, I think, if we lost the if the Premier League lost someone of his talents. Um Agreed. We've not seen enough of him yet in a Spurs show. Well, no, exactly. And, and uh, I think it was really interesting that Mourinho said that he, um, well, he was asked about him, his personality and Mourinho kind of towed down a lot of the noises we've been hearing behind the scenes and basically said, you know, six months is, is, is no time to judge someone's personality. He still, ha- he still he still can still come back and be a Spurs player. There's no reason why he can't. And it's it was kind of unusually diplomatic from Jose. And there was... Uh, we always it's always tempting to read between the lines with stuff he says, but that's probably the most sincere I've heard him for a while. Um, and I'll be, I think it'd be really exciting if he, I don't know if he's fit enough to start, if he is great, um, or just to see him get a half because, yeah, I, I want him in the league. I want to see more of him. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk ever since the beginning of Mourinho arriving at, at, at Spurs that it's going to be different this time. It's not all about the market. It's about me working with players. It's about me working on players. And Ndombele's still pretty young. You know, you think he's had, what, two seasons at the top level, really, with Lyon before he arrived here. So clearly he's he's got an enormous amount to, to offer and they've really missed him this season. And also, we talked about Bruno Fernandes before, that like what an area of need this was for Tottenham before the start of the season. And it's not suddenly not become an area of need for Tottenham, has it? Yeah, it's really interesting in the, in the week, um, Kieran Trippier was talking about how big a loss Moussa Dembele was. And and Dombele is probably the closest in the world, maybe right now to to what specifically to what Dembele did for that Spurs side, and they have him and you know to utilize him as effectively as possible, surely in their best interest. I was actually going to ask you, Andy, was there any sense before this move that he was Dombele was a, a difficult player or someone who didn't like putting in that graft? That seems well, to be the case now from the outside. He'd come a long way in a very short time. Um, but I mean, I mean, he did he did a great job both at, at Amiens and, and Lyon. But to get to Amiens, to get to professional football, there are a lot of academy moments that didn't work out for him. Uh, there are a lot of people who thought he he wouldn't make it as a as a pro. So the fact that he got from getting to the top flight with Amiens and then getting to Champions League level with Lyon, it, it seemed to happen in the blink of an eye. And I think that's the thing. He's almost regressed to 
you know, pre-pro and Dombele, really, which which is a, a a bit of a shame. But it's it's clearly got something to do with with management as well. I mean, when you come in for that amount of money, and then the coach disappears and we know what an engaging coach Pochettino is we know what he can do for players and it, it, you can't really I think put into words how different it must be going from um, Pochettino who's mm-hmm. that sort of nurturer to Mourinho which you know discuss all the qualities of Mourinho that you like he is not a nurturer I remember Karen Benzema saying at, at Real Madrid the only words he said to me for the first season was bouge ton cool bouge ton cool which means move your ass in French <laughs> <laughs> and that was it right well it's interesting because uh, as a United fan the way he dealt with Luke Shaw was, was quite harrowing actually yeah but one of the things I think he got away with in that instance was that Luke Shaw had come from Southampton and was clearly glad to be at United and so would be really receptive to any kind of insight even if it bordered on abuse whereas I wonder now with with Mourinho so many people specifically players are so up to speed with his methods and so anti his methods that I reckon people would arrive at his club or be at a club when he arrives and already have this idea of what exactly it's going to be like so even if he does try and change his ways there's an element of like well I'm not you know it's like a bit of both sides. There's a bit of perception as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and I reckon that some of the attitudes would be like, oh, fuck, he's going to treat me like he did that Luke Shaw at Manchester United, but you know, I'm a much better player than that. Do you reckon if he scores against Sheffield United, Jules, he'll do the uh, shush celebration? I hope so. It's <laughs> something I'm waiting for. That and, is the... And Dombele to Mourinho. Yeah, I love it. Oh, well, well, I'd be, just, I'd be just all to, over that. Just, just to anyone. <laughs> That's the early kickoff, I was going to say. Six o'clock, Sheffield United against Tottenham. The late kickoff tonight, it's Manchester City against the champions, Liverpool. And there will be a guard of honour at the Etihad for Liverpool to walk out onto the pitch. How do you feel about this? Well, Pep Guardiola insists. <laughs> it's tradition, isn't it? Big fan. Big, big fan. Because back in 2007, Manchester United had a guard of honour at Stamford Bridge against Mourinho Chelsea and Sir Alex Ferguson switched the entire lineup so that it was Kieran Lee, Dong Fang Zhu and uh, Thomas Kushak as part of that guard of honour. Oh and it was absolutely majestic. Dong Fang Zhu? Yeah. Ole, Solskjaer, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was also part of that. Really? Yeah. Gabriel Heinze was the captain. It was, there's a photo on, <laughs> there's a photo, <laughs> invariably it's probably doing the rounds on Twitter actually right now, but um, it's of, <laughs> you can just see the back of Dong Fanju's shirt, which just had Dong on it. And Terry is clapping and just give, staring him daggers. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, I actually can't wait for this tonight. I, know, I yeah. can't wait. Well, the thing is, Manchester City haven't got any option other than to, oh, change, to. change their first team, have they? Oh, well, well, to do the guard of honour. Yeah. But, but, but to change their team a little bit because there's, there's no Fernandinho, he's suspended, uh, Aguero's injured. And I wonder if it is a bit of a peer into the future for, for for Manchester City because those are two cornerstones who well Guardiola was quite open wasn't he in the in, in the press conference at some point they're going to have to be replaced mm. it's interesting and we know, now know that Sane is definitely officially going to be leaving he's got that deal to buy Munich hasn't he I love a winger they love <laughs> a winger that's um you know I'm not totally up to speed with the machinations of that deal but that seems 
criminal price tag for an unbelievable winger. What and was, I it? Also, was it 50 million? Yeah. He, and also, how did it decline so much at City that he was, he's been able to go for this price? Well, he's only got a year left on his contract, of course, and but, he, he made why? clear that he wasn't going to sign again. But that's, that's what I mean. Like, why was it, how did they get to that stage? Because he was so good for City and he gives them such a different dynamic as someone who could also, you know, play intricately in a small space and just stretch play so well. So, but better than anyone. One of the best dribblers I've seen in the Premier League recently. Really good fantasy assets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, they call it, oh, it's a great differential pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess a huge part of it is maybe he felt they were never really properly invested in him. Like the, in, right. There must have been a degree of frustration that he never felt first choice. But I mean, in a way, they did show a great amount of faith in him in the amount of money they spent on him in the first place. I, I remember, and it's not often you feel this in the modern transfer market, and having seen what a prospect he was at Schalke, he was still a prospect when they bought him and they invested a lot of money in him. I remember, remember thinking, shit, that is a lot of money. And I, I guess... Well, you know, we talked about it with Ndombele and Mourinho. So much of it is trust. And I think as well, after the way that he didn't make it for the 2018 World Cup, and that was far that was far more of a big deal here than it was in Germany. So people in Germany were like, well, he's been shipped for the national team. Why would we pick him? You know, no one felt that it was... And clearly, Germany had huge issues at the 2018 World Cup. I don't think picking Sané would or wouldn't have influenced what actually went down but there was definitely an outcry here of oh, imagine having someone like that off the, the the bench it almost feels and maybe he feels that he was more valued outside the club than he was inside it sometimes i'm gonna this is gonna sound like i'm stirring the pot because i go am. on stir the pot <laughs> i've got it out of the cauldrons bubbling um does it not bow or you know presumably it doesn't bow particularly well for Pep Guardiola that, that a player like Sonny with such a high ceiling doesn't want to work for him? Or does it? Or is it unrelated? Maybe. I mean, I think Ooh, there was, there was definitely, there was definitely a feeling at Manchester City as well that maybe, maybe it was due to him feeling discouraged, but his, his attitude wasn't great. He was, he was late a lot. And clearly, I, I think this is one of those things where, as you say, when a player who you're asking 100 million for last year goes for what less than half that I think that there's definitely a lot of PR posturing from both sides and there will be Sané and and his people going oh well he, he didn't feel the love and Manchester City going well he didn't give a shit he was always late for stuff yeah. So, and the truth is probably somewhere in between, you know? Yeah. What about for um, Liverpool then tonight? Because, of course, they've won the title, first one in 30 years. It's their opportunity to play their first match since then. They're just going to want to go out there and have fun with their football. And from what we know of Jurgen Klopp, because there's, there's lots of kind of different ways you can look at this. It's like, well, we've won the league now. Are we going to just chill out and maybe bring in some of the youngsters and give them a chance, give some other players a chance to play? Or... Are Liverpool actually going to go out there and try and win the record for the most points in a season? I think they can get to 107 if they win all of their remaining games. That means that they can beat Manchester City's record. From what we know of Jurgen Klopp in the Premier League so far, I think it's the latter. I think they're going to want to win the records. Yeah, I also think if they want to really be taken seriously as a big club, they've got to take this particular part seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, we... <laughs> 
it, I was I was going to jokingly say it'd be really funny if they were like just you know mashed up and you know from all their frivolities and celebrations. Do what Brighton did when we uh, basically got promotion to the Premier League and then lost pretty much every game after that and didn't go up as champions. We bottled it. We basically just got hammered. Right. Yeah. <laughs> On the plus side, at least you're over it. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, whatever. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. But I'm you, fine. But this is this is kind of the, this is kind of the period where actually bad habits can creep in and mm. actually permeate into next season and. Yeah, they want to lay down a marker, first league in 30 years, but also they want to they want to get the points record. They want to show that they're to be taken seriously. They're not just a one and done club. Yeah. Um and yeah, I, I think they I think they're going to go for it. And and like Klopp has a, a genuine chance here to assert a proper dominance for the next 3 to 4 years. And um, it's a psychological thing as well, isn't yeah. it? Because they they've got the drop on Manchester City in recent meetings and that goes back to before Really, they were a genuine title contender. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that helps uh, they've been buoyed by, even though they're not involved in it at all, was seeing what Chelsea did yesterday. Because I think there are still definitely reservations over Frank Lampard as a top-flight manager. So while they have, while they did beat them to the punch with Werner, while they have got Ziyech and might invest further in the summer, they know that actually this is the time where teams are building and they're already fully formed, so they can really stretch yeah. out and um, and get some space. Should be a fascinating match. Looking forward to it. I think, I reckon there's going to be quite a few goals in that one. Man City-Liverpool. Let's hope so. I hope so. Right. Well, that's it from us. Uh, looking forward to the Premier League matches tonight. Spurs against Sheffield United. Man City against the champions, Liverpool. Uh, that is all from us. Vish, Andy, thank you very much. I'm off to Brushton Cool. That the move move my ass. See, I love something. Was that good? Very good. Thank you. The was, lang- that the right? was that right? Brushton Cool. Bush, bush don't cool. Rush to, rush to cool sounds like some kind of dodgy rum punch. <laughs> I'll have one of those as well. It's officially my weekend now. Uh, thanks, guys. Tomorrow on the preview show, Marcus, Andy, you're back, and Luke Moore are going to be here, and we'll see you tomorrow. This was a Stakhanov production.